Welcome again to American composer Anthony Green, who joins me in Canada from Europe via the magnificent social distancing abilities that today's technology provides. Hello again, Mr. Green. Hello, hello. Hope everything is going well. Indeed. Thus far, yes. Thank you. I would like to focus this episode on your artistic individuality. What and who influenced your musical language? As a child, I soaked up so much of my surroundings, but music always had such a special role in my life. I started playing piano by ear when I was five, and I didn't start piano lessons until I was ten. But throughout that time, I would thoroughly intimate the music around me. That included pop songs, R&B, easy listening from my mom, Motown from my dad, and hymns and gospel music at my church. I also remember buying my first classical music cassette tape. It was a tape of piano music by Chopin. And from that tape, I learned the E minor prelude uh, by ear before I officially started taking lessons. From my primary piano teachers, I grew extremely fond of Bach and Chopin, of course, and also uh, Debussy. Those were my go-to favorite composers. But I also grew to love contemporary music. I remember really enjoying pieces by Ed Bland, John Deke, Roque Cordero, John Harbison, and some others. But the composer that changed my life the most is Karlheinz Stockhausen. There was a point in my undergraduate studies where I would self-learn by going to the Boston University Music Library, and there I would just take out a random score, I would find a recording of that piece, and I would listen to the piece with the score, studying it in my own way. I remember the day that I came across Gruten by Stockhausen, the piece for three orchestras, and I remember that moment being such a big turning point in my realization that composers can be creative in levels that I, at the time, just could not comprehend. And at that moment, I knew I wanted to reach that point in some way, not necessarily by mimicking Stockhausen, but by digging deep within myself and becoming as creative as he was, but in my own way. A number of artists live through a transcendental musical experience that changes their life and how they approach art and music. Have you lived such a revelation? A concert, a performance, or a book perhaps? Even if you do not feel comfortable sharing the experience itself, could you tell us how did it impact your creative process? Uh, what other life-changing moments uh, that influenced you as an artist do you feel comfortable sharing? <laughs> yeah, I think I have about three of these experiences every year. <laughs> But sometimes I just don't realize that those experiences are transcendental or important until months or even years later. But one of those moments was the first time I performed a piece that I composed called Empathy One, Diamond Reynolds. Just a little bit about this piece. It's for solo voice and... 
It is about the moment when Philando Castile was shot in Minneapolis. His girlfriend is Diamond Reynolds. She's still alive today. Unfortunately, Philando Castile died throughout that incident, which was live streamed on Facebook. So in 2017, I was invited to be part of a cohort of fellows at the Bemis Center for Contemporary Arts in Omaha, Nebraska. This was for their themed residency called Art, Empathy, and Ethos. It was here in Omaha that I met some of the most influential young artists of my life, namely Christy Chan and Helena Metafaria. Um, who both have helped me and encouraged me to explore other sides of my artistic identity, basically expanding my practice to what it is today. This piece, Empathy One Diamond Reynolds, it was um, commissioned by a countertenor named uh, Carl Alexander for one of its projects called The Voice Project. The Voice Project focused on uplifting young Black composers by commissioning them to, compo- to compose pieces using James Baldwin's The Fire Next Time as a sort of moral foundation. At any rate, I composed most of Empathy One Diamond Reynolds' Um, during this residency, and I performed it at the Open House Open Studios event where fellows showcased their work and current projects for a general public. During the performance, I remember escaping myself in a way that I never expected. I took on the depth and psychology of the event, and suffice it to say, the performance was emotionally draining. At the same time, I remembered this spark igniting within me. It was a spark that signaled a type of performance practice that I really wanted to pursue. And this avenue of performance art mixed with composition and movement and social justice and audience engagement, this is the avenue that I am still currently traveling down. The comments I received after that performance, they also encouraged me to keep going. And since then, I've performed Empathy One in Maine, in Germany, in Switzerland, in Turkey, and Carl Alexander, the countertenor, he performed it in Chicago. On um, And this year, on March 1st, my friend Julian Otis performed it with such an incredible and forward-thinking interpretation. Um, He performed it at the Frequency Festival, also in Chicago. I would have performed this piece at least three more times this spring in Amsterdam, Cleveland, and in the Twin Cities. But unfortunately, the coronavirus situation has postponed these performances. You're indeed a very busy performer and composer. You have certainly encountered situations that made you consider the ethical and moral implications of your choices. What is your code of professional ethics? Before I answer this question, I just want to say that when I was growing into the composer and performer I am today, I often, perhaps more often than not, felt that I wasn't wanted in this music world, that I could never contribute, and that what I created or performed didn't matter. 
I also didn't really have any older black mentors who I could turn to for advice or moral support, and I constantly felt that my skin color was a significant reason for the insanely high amount of rejection that I received. But when you have a burning desire to create, it's extremely difficult to just suppress it. So it was this burning drive that kept me creating, even though there were three significant moments in my life where I almost stopped all of my creative initiatives. That said, and I'm not sure if I'm even answering this question right or correctly, but I would say my main code of ethics is that in professional settings, when I'm entering a space in the metaphorical grand sense of the term, I will attempt to acknowledge what the situation means on multiple levels, operate accordingly and professionally, and whenever possible, attempt to encourage other talented and relevant creative artists, especially Black artists, to enter that space as well. To continue in the same lane, have you ever had to compromise this code of ethics? And if so, do you feel comfortable sharing why? Definitely. There are moments when I'm in certain situations and others may say comments that are inappropriate, some with regards to race, some with regards to other things like finances, age, gender, etc. In many of these moments, I constantly ask myself, do I say something now and risk my professional standing in this opportunity? and a future relationship with this organization? Do I say nothing and have my silence be a tacit approval of injustice? Do I say nothing and just assume that the people in the room who are on my side also acknowledge the injustice of the situation and are also remaining silent? This balance of when to speak up and when not to speak up is something that I constantly navigate. And I'm positive I've remained silent in some instances where I should have spoken up. All I can do now is just learn from those situations and do better in the future. I have noticed, however, that as I grow older and as I gain more experience, all of these things help me to be more vocal. As a younger creative, I always thought that saying the wrong thing would get me into trouble but I'm now in a position where I can afford to get into trouble and still survive professionally. With that, I have plans on making more public statements in the future. And I thank you for being so open with respect to your beliefs in this interview. We are reaching the end of our three-part conversation that includes long and detailed answers to very open questions. Uh, coronavirus oblige. Let me try a slightly more linguistically restricting question. In three sentences or fewer, what is your personal philosophy of composition? Never do something you don't want to do. There's no such thing as rules, only guidelines. Always acknowledge the work, struggle, and triumph of those who have come before you. This answer makes me particularly happy. The asynchronic recording of our exchange allows for us to formulate so much content in so few words. Um, 
This is the perfect place to conclude our meeting, I think. Thank you, Mr. Green, for the pleasure of conversing and good luck. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, really. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening and see you next time. Bye bye.